Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, the scripture says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Your Bible is full of different metaphors that describe the Christian faith or the church or what it means to, to live the Christian life with and among other Christians. There's the metaphor of the body, where we're members of the body and Jesus is the head. He's the Lord. He's the controller. He's the king. There's the metaphor later in this passage of a temple, that, that literally were a temple. There's a metaphor of a, of a building, that Jesus is the cornerstone. And essentially, we're all individual stones in this building. It has a foundation, and the most important part of that foundation is Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, there's the metaphor of a soldier. The Christians are soldiers engaged in warfare and battle. But, but essentially, all through your New Testament, there's these, these metaphors. A metaphor is a comparison. And in your Bible, you find the Scripture comparing the Christian life, or in Ephesians, the church, to, to different things that we experience in the world, where realities about the church, spiritual realities, are explained in terms of things that you experience in life, that, just to help you understand them. And, and that's what we have here in describing us as citizens, that we're citizens with the saints in God's kingdom. We're citizens together. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, if you remember, has this theme of what you once were and what you now are. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 are real familiar to a lot of us. It, it talks there about these spiritual realities, about how you were dead, about how you were following the course of the world, but you were raised up and that you're now seated with Christ in heavenly places. And it talks about the, your spiritual standing because of the grace of God. And then the passage we looked at last time talks about not only has God done that, and you see these spiritual blessings of salvation, but it affects how we live with each other, how we treat other Christians. And it talks about Jesus' death essentially creating one new man. That the, the idea of, of, in their case, Jews and Gentiles now being brought together as one new man, that affects how you look at other Christians regardless of their race or their background or their genealogy or their religious traditions, there's now one new man. This idea of what you once were and what you now are continues in this verse this morning. Look at verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. So what you're not anymore, you're no longer strangers and Aliens. You're, you're not strangers. The idea there of being an exile. One of the ways the Bible presents us as following God is you're, you're not exiled anymore. To be exiled is to be sent away. That's not the case for you. You who were sent away, you who were far from God, you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're near to God now. You're not an exile. The word alien, interestingly, to me anyway, hope it's interesting to you, is the Greek word xeno. If you've ever heard the word xenophobe, someone who's afraid of aliens, that's, that's this word. It, it literally means a foreigner, a foreigner, that, that we, before Jesus Christ, we were foreigners to the promise of God. You know, a foreigner is different. If you go to a foreign country, you're going to recognize real quick you're different than those people, and they're going to they're mark you out and recognize you as different. 
I, I thought this morning, or th- this week, it'd be kind of funny, you know, if a person from Scotland, if you got to host a person from Scotland, some of the interactions they would have here, it would become very quick, it'd become quickly apparent to others that they were an alien visiting you because the way they spoke would be very different. If they brought a kilt, they would, they would wear this thing, a kilt, and they'd go out to dinner with you, and people would look at that a, a bit funny because males don't wear those in America. Or, or if they check the menu at the half shell and there's no haggis, they might have questions about that. It's, it's going to become apparent to everyone very quickly they're an alien. Well, as Christians, we're not aliens from the people of God anymore, and that's, that's what it's talking about here. Rather than being different than God's people, now we're made part of God's people. And again, this is not, it's not like we're made part of Israel. We're made part of a new man, a new man, the people of God. So look at what it says here. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but, but you are fellow citizens. That word fellow citizen is a, would have been a really important word to the Greek people. It's essentially a, the word that means member of a city-state. Member of a city-state. And, and again, keep in mind, in the Ephesian church, there's this mixture of Jews and Gentiles, probably a lot of Gentiles. And he says now, as the people of God, one of the things that's changed is now you're members of that citizenship. You have a new citizenship. You're part of the city-state of God. If you look at the Greeks, you've probably heard about the Spartans. I mean, they've been popularized recently, and I'm glad of that. The Spartans are these people that were known for their rigorous training. If you walk into a room and there's no pictures, there's very little furniture, there's almost no decorations, you might say, well, that room is a bit Spartan. Because the Spartans, in their ethos and the way that they lived their life, they didn't want to place a lot of value on material things. That's very different than from the Athenians. So they live in the same country, but Athens is very different than Sparta. The Athenians are known for their intellectualism. They're known for their philosophy. They're known for their learning. If, essentially, in the ancient world, if you want to be educated, you go to Athens, which is very different from Corinth. Corinth was known for its immorality. If you wanted to commit acts of immorality, people went to Corinth. So this idea of being part of a city-state affected your identity, who you were, the cultures that define, the, 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 the aspects and characteristics that defined your life. And Paul's here saying you're no longer a stranger from the people of God. Now you're a fellow citizen. Now you're a fellow citizen with the saints. So I want to talk this morning about what that citizenship means, this change, what this change has brought about, and and dive in a bit to this metaphor of citizenship. Because we all know, I'm assuming most of us know, because we live it out, what it means to be a citizen. This is a metaphor that can help us understand what it means to be the people of God, what it means to be the church. Well, this metaphor of citizenship or being made citizens, being included in the new citizenry of God means a new acceptance. There's an acceptance. We go from being an alien to being accepted. And that's really the main point here of this passage. What you once were, alien, to what you want, now are, you're a fellow citizen. You're accepted 
by God on the basis of Jesus and his death on the cross. That Jesus shed his blood. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead through faith in Jesus Christ. God makes us new. And God not only makes us new, but he brings us together with other people who from a worldly standpoint are very different than us in a variety of ways. And there is a new acceptance. And that's going to affect the church. Now what you'll find in the New Testament is this this um, wall of hostility, as Ephesians 2 calls it, between the Jews and the Gentiles. And that becomes a big issue for how do you live out the Christian faith with these people now that God has brought them together through Christ. Romans 14 and 15 deals with this issue. Interesting, in those chapters, it deals with some of the, the traditions or the religious baggage you bring into this relationship, this, this new citizenship. So, so look at Romans 14, how it talks about how we're supposed to now accept one another because of Christ. It begins in Romans 14.1, which says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. And if you read chapter 14, Paul puts in the issue of opinions all these religious practices that you bring in. And he says, don't argue over those. Then essentially brings it to conclusion in Romans 15, 5-7 where he says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So despite the differences, because of Jesus Christ and on the basis of Jesus Christ, you welcome one another. So believing the gospel changes and affects how we treat other people, how we treat specifically other people in the church. Because we all know we all bring great differences into the Christian life and into the church with us. We're all different by God's design. Different upbringings, some people from different countries, different nationalities, different races, different philosophies, different ideas from important matters in life to insignificant matters of life and how you brush your teeth or what toothpaste you buy. We all have these differences. And in the church, the call here is that you are made into a new citizenship. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're now accepted. You are fellow citizens. So based on that acceptance, you should be united. To be unified is one of the themes of the book of Ephesians, that the divisions that exist among us, differences among us are always going to be present. But the gospel transcends those differences. The gospel is bigger than those differences. Salvation is more important than those differences. There's always going to be cultural differences among us. A Texan will always be different than a Mississippian. Ask them, you'll find out. Go to Texas as a Mississippian, you'll find out. Probably pretty quick that you're not one of them. But the citizenship that is in heaven transcends those differences. You think about citizenship, and this is hopefully where this analogy can help us. Citizenship brings along with it a sense of belonging, a sense of belonging. Our American citizenship brings along with it a sense of belonging with other Americans. Most of us felt this and experienced this and recognized this when 9-11 happened. 
There's a sense in which we were one with the people of New York on the basis of the fact that we are Americans and we would accept them. There's an identity, there's a camaraderie, there's a, there's a unity based on our citizenship even though there's worldly differences. I, I've seen this in the branches of the military. I'm more familiar with the Marine Corps just because my brother was a Marine, so I grew up around some of those Marine Corps people, and it's, it's bizarre how a Marine from California and a Marine from Maine and a Marine from you name it, they come together and essentially they're, they come under the doctrine of the Marine Corps, and there is a camaraderie there that exists even after they retire. There's a, man, there's a guy that I know in Biloxi who's a, a Marine, and he was a Marine in the 80s, I believe for eight years, and, uh, you know, he loves the Marine Corps. He, he kind of eats and drinks and breathes the Marine Corps. And when Katrina happened and his house was damaged, one of his former commanders got a group of Marines and they came down to Mississippi and fixed his home and gave him a bunch of money. There's a camaraderie. There's an acceptance that goes along with being part of that group. And as being part of the people of God, there's an acceptance. There should be a belonging there should be a camaraderie, and there is. Not only is there a new acceptance, now that you're fellow citizens, there's a new allegiance, number two. That now we're allied with Jesus Christ. Our allegiance is to him. This is why the most popular and common title for Jesus in the New Testament is Lord. Now, that's kind of an analogy that's hard for us to understand. Because we don't really have lords as Americans. In fact, we don't like kings and lords in our history, but Jesus is Lord. Jesus is master. So we owe him our allegiance. What he says goes. Jesus is our authority. The word of God is our authority. Of course, Jesus' words come to us through the written word of God. We have a new allegiance to him. And it's, I think it's interesting. It's helpful for us to think about as Americans, because we are Americans, but we're also followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do those interact? How does that work? Because think about it, we are simultaneously citizens of America and citizens with the saints. We are in America and we are in Christ. How do the two interrelate? Well, that's a big subject. can't cover it all, but I'll try to cover a, a bit of that because I, I do think that's part of what this language of being a new citizen is. And there's, there's a citizenship here, the, citizens, the citizenship with the saints that for, that for the Gentiles, it'd be more important than them being Ephesian. And for the Jews, being a citizen with the saints would be more important than, for them than being Jewish. There's a new allegiance. Just a few things to remember about that. Number one, all the nations of this world will pass away. In fact, they, in the words of the Scripture, they are passing away. This world is passing away. So we would be wise not to be too connected to anything with regard to this age. In fact, the Scripture speaks of the nations as a drop in the bucket. That's what the nations are. 
And essentially, when that was written, that was talking about nations like Persia, Babylon, Assyria. They're, just a, they're like a drop in a bucket. You know what that is? Utterly insignificant compared to God. Whenever God called Abram, God called Abram to leave his people and to go to a country that he hadn't seen. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 reflects on Abram leaving and going there. And he says that it says that he was looking for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. The idea there was he was looking for somewhere eternal. The book of Hebrews then calls all of us Christians in Hebrews 13, 14. It says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So as Christians, we always need to remember, we're looking forward to something, an eternal kingdom, an eternal dwelling place that is yet future. That's our great hope, and that's what we're looking forward to. Another thing that I think this means Uh, in having a new allegiance, in being citizens with the saints, is that Christianity is not American. It's not American. Keep in mind who he's writing to here. He's writing to Jews and Greeks. For us, we're Americans, so this message is for us to remember that we're fellow citizens with the saints. And I know there's a danger. I don't know if you recognize it or not. At least think about it. There's a danger of confusing and conflating There's a danger of confusing Christianity and being an American, these two realities that are simultaneous. There's a a danger of confusing them because as Americans, we have ideologies. We have cultural norms. We have belief systems. We have things that are being taught to us. We have norms of behavior. And, And those can corrupt our Christian faith and Christian citizenship and the church. If we're not careful, just for instance, again, what I'm, one example of what I'm saying and, and trying to explain came just this most recent year from The Bachelorette, which I read about on the news. I'm not, I don't watch The Bachelorette. This one caught my attention because The Bachelorette was essentially defending her lifestyle. She broke up with a guy or kicked a guy off the show because he wouldn't engage in certain relations with her and and he wouldn't do that because he said he was a Christian. And so her response on an interview was, God is going to accept me no matter what I do. Well, that's a distortion of the Christian faith. That's taking an American ideology, an American sexual ethic, and corrupting what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And essentially saying God supports this. So that, that does get my attention. Incidentally, let me show you what that is because it's very common in our day. Really, it's been common all throughout Christian history. It's, the big word for it is antinomianism, for those of you who are interested. This idea of, well, now I'm a Christian. It doesn't really matter how I live. I'm under grace. Well, Jude addresses that in Jude 1.4. Listen to what he says. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. By the way, he's talking about people in the church there, in the first century. And notice what they do. 
One of the translations says, they turn the grace of God into licentiousness. ESV, they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. People are looking to justify their sin on the basis of God's grace and God's acceptance. That's wrong. That's false. It's taking one thing that's true, the grace of God, and applying it in a way that is ungodly and wrong. But you'll find that all over the place and everywhere. So we've got to make sure and be beware that our allegiances are not to the philosophies and ideologies of our country, at least the ones that contradict the Word of God. Well, for instance, also the American views of freedom and self-determinism. Where does some of this stuff come from? Some of this stuff comes from... It comes from our ideology of self-determinism. It's my life. I do what I want. I do it how I want. I do it when I want. It's me. Friends, a follower of Jesus Christ denies themselves, takes up the cross, and follows him. So I'm just saying as a Christian, you've got to beware some of those encroaching, depraved ideologies that freedom allows people to carry out. Incidentally, just another example from yesterday. So yesterday, I don't know if you've heard of the game... The game is between Harvard and Yale, and it had to be postponed because people ran out on the field. They sat in the, at, 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 at the 50-yard line, and they've got these signs, and the, they, the signs say, Harvard and Yale is, a, is uh, against climate justice. Justice for the climate. There's a bizarre philosophical category for you. But these are ideologies that exist. So, so the, the way we deal with that we don't synchronize wrong, sinful views to, to what the Bible says. We don't synchronize them. No, the Word of God draws the lines. The Word of God defines what we believe and how we live. The Word of God, which is transcendent. And the, the amazing thing about this book is it's transcultural. Regardless of the culture that the, the, the Christianity goes to, that the gospel goes to, people are saved in every culture and in any culture. They're brought into the kingdom of God. They're made fellow citizens with the saints. And if you, if you meet with Christians who are trying to define their life by this book, their lives are going to look very similar. Now, physically, they're going to look different. A lot of their cultural norms are going to look different. Like, for instance, I'm sure in many countries, they don't start church until 2 p.m., well, because they sleep late. Um, if you go to churches in Africa, they're going to sing some of the same songs we sing, amazingly. But it's going to sound a lot different. And they're going to look a lot different. But you're going to hear the same word, the same gospel, and you're going to have the same ethics that, are, that arise out of the Bible. Because we have this common allegiance. The Bible sets the norms, it sets the bounds. It establishes the lines. So the question I think we've always got to be answering our, or asking ourselves and, and on guard against is, is our citizenship in the, in the saints being influenced by my American citizenship or is my citizenship as a saint influencing my American citizenship? And it should be the latter. I'm saying we've got to be careful that the ideologies of our age and our world and our country, especially those that contradict the Word of God, aren't influencing us. Because, friends, they're, they're influencing younger people. They're influencing younger people. 
We want to make sure our living out of the faith, or the way James says it in James 2, how you hold the faith is influencing others. And in this case, influencing our world. How we view as Christian citizens our interaction with our American citizenship. You understand, something, that, something that's a reality in our world, and if you, look, if you look at the Roman Empire, the Romans are one of the best examples of it, they believed in assimilation. When the Romans would conquer a people, they wanted them to become Roman. And to make sure they'd become Roman, they, they displaced them from their homeland. Like when Rome would conquer people in Spain, they would move them to another part of the kingdom so they wouldn't be tied to their geographic locale and all its cultural tendencies, but rather they become Romans. And friends, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we are assimilated into the citizenship of the saints, changed by the Word of God. And Jesus is our allegiance. Jesus is our primary allegiance. So we always need to think in terms of our commitment. Now for most of us in this room, most of us we have a strong commitment to America. And, and again, the, the, we've got lots of guys in this room that are serving in the military or ha, who, have, who have served in the military. And, and for many of us in this room, there's an ethos of, I would be willing to die to defend the freedoms that I believe in. Because, I mean, well, I'll just speak for myself. I love the Declaration of Independence. I love what it says about freedom. And I at least would confess that I'm willing to die for that. And I think most of us in this room, or many of us in this room, would agree with that. The guys who sign up to be in the military, essentially by default agree with that, that they're willing to make whatever sacrifices necessary for this country. I think that's a great thing. I don't think there's anything the Bible contradicts about that. I think that's a noble ethos, and a right thing, and a good thing. But friends, what about our commitment to Jesus Christ? We have this strong and, I think, right commitment to our country. Is our, is our commitment to Jesus Christ matched in its intensity and earnestness? Which I would just say it should be. Another example. I, got to, I had the benefit of getting to grow up and go to lots of sporting events. And one of my favorite parts about the sporting event, like at a big football game or a, a basketball arena, you sing the national anthem. And it, it's the tradition of my team, everybody sings the national anthem. They have the words up there. I learned the national anthem by going to football and basketball games. And I love that. Again, this is, my, this is one of my favorite parts about going to one of these sporting events, is all of us there singing the national anthem. That's awesome. I think it's awesome. I mean, there's, again, this sense of camaraderie. There's this sense of identity and belonging and willingness to sacrifice and recognition, recognizing the history of sacrifice. We love that. that. That excites me. I get fired up. I understand that. I, I've exp I understand people that get excited for that, and I think it's right. I think it's fine and right to be patriotic. My only question, what I don't understand, is why do these people that say they're Christians not sing with vigor to the Lord of glory? Where's that? That's what I can't comprehend mentally. I understand. I understand love for country and singing the national anthem. I think that's fine and right and good. 
I would just say as Christians, we should have a zeal for Jesus Christ that's expressed, that expresses our allegiance to Him. We have a new allegiance because we're citizens. That affects our identity. Identity shapes who we are and what we believe. In fact, I believe as the Christian, our primary identity is in Christ. Just read Ephesians 1 and 2, and you'll find over and over again, here and all through your New Testament, a big part of the language of what it means to be a Christian is the words, in Christ. In Christ. I'm identified with Jesus. I'm connected to God through Jesus. We as Christians are in Christ. That is a primary part of our identity. How did that happen? It happened through teaching. For, well, for us, obviously, it happened through conversion. But it also happens through teaching and learning and, and living in the context of other Christians and believers. I, I realized this and, and the, the importance of this when I, when I had a friend in, in Kentucky. I got to work with several guys from Cuba. And these, these, these guys were Christians. Uh, they were from Cuba, and they were hardworking men. They were a great example uh, to me. They made amazing coffee that I can't duplicate to this day. I wish I could. Sorry. <clears throat> but I had a, one of the, those Cuban friends was studying to be an American citizen. And, and so we worked together daily. So I... I got to help him prepare for his citizenship. And I was amazed at what he had to learn. To me, it was incredible. I thought it was great. Yet, I mean, he had to answer like over 300 questions about the history of America. <laughs> and I was, I mean, I'm relearning American history while I'm helping him study. I was like, this is amazing. And the reason for that is because they want him to understand where we came from and who we are. And this dude was, by the way, he hated Cuba. He wanted nothing to do with his former life there. He wanted to be an American. It was, ama it was awesome. He, he had his car like tricked out is the only way I know how to say it. Flashy rims, funny paint job. I was like, why did you do that? His answer was, well, that's what Americans do. <laughs> <laughs> but what I realized was <clears throat> he was learning to be an American by essentially through discipleship, what I called discipleship. He was studying and being taught things. And, we and he was learning to be a, a bit. Where did he learn that about the car? Well, he was, in, he was essentially engulfed in or engulfed by and assimilated into American culture. Well, how do we learn to follow Jesus Christ? How do we learn about our citizenship with the saints? Through discipleship. So this is why we all need to be engaged in discipling people, in teaching them what the Bible says. By the way, if you want to see your country change, that's how you change people. Teach them the gospel. Teach them the Word of God. Have conversations with people about the, what the Word of God says. Obviously, first and foremost, teach your kids and your grandkids. That's your first line of responsibility. But then also try to be engaged with people you work with, you live around, about what the Word of God says. So there's a new acceptance. We need to be united. There's a new allegiance. We need to be engaged. And thirdly, there's a new alliance. There's a new alliance. Look at it in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. 
Here's your fellow citizens. Notice they're called saints. This is the word holy ones. Holy ones. You're made holy by salvation, by conversion. You're made holy. And then you live out a holy life as followers of Jesus Christ. To be holy means to be separate, distinct, and set apart. That's how God's people are to look in the world. This is why, again, as those who are saints, we're going to look different than people in our neighborhood that aren't. We're going to be ruled by a different Lord. We're going to operate under a different set of guidelines. Not only do we follow the laws in America, which we should. It's part of being a Christian. You submit to authorities in America. Not only do we submit to authorities in this country and to the laws of our country, we submit to Jesus Christ the Lord. We've got a whole other set of laws that we follow that make us look different, that make us look distinct. And again, in God's plan and purpose, we're going to learn in Ephesians 4, it's that distinction and separation from the world that God uses to, to use us as a light in a dark place, to, essentially that leads to the conversion of people. It's not by being like them that they get converted. It's by being distinct from them that leads them to being converted. That's the biblical picture. And, and it begins here with this citizenship with the saints. Just one point of application about this. Since you have this new alliance, you're allied with the saints of God. You should be encouraged. You should be encouraged, and here's one reason why. Because to be different, to be a saint, is hard. If you say no where the culture and the world says yes, if you draw the lines where Jesus draws them and where the Word of God draws them, you're going to be different. And Jesus, prom Jesus promised you'll be hated for his name's sake. The, 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 the servant is not above the master, and if they hated the master, if they called Jesus Beelzebul or the devil, what do you think they're going to call you? So if we follow Jesus and we draw the lines where the Bible draws the lines, it's not going to always mean a warm reception with those people our world, our country that's very different than us in the way we think about marriage or the way we think about our lives. So you should be encouraged, though, because you're not alone. You're not alone. You see that? You're fellow citizens with the saints. You're not alone in this being different and distinct. Because this is one of the reasons the, gather, the regular gathering of the church is so important. Because you sur you're surrounded by fellow citizens, saints. All of us know none of us are perfect, but we're made the people of God by the grace of God. And being around the people of God on a regular basis is an encouragement to our soul. I mean, for most people, this is, this is the, the one time during the week you're around other Christians. So a lot of people that at work, they don't get to work with Christians. Like, some of us are blessed. I mean, again, I have it easier than any of you. I work with pastors and Jane, who's amazing, by the way. But for most of us, this is, the, this is the time we come together as the fellow saints of God, united in Jesus Christ. So be encouraged. Let's pray together. God, help us to meditate on and consider what it means that we're no longer strangers and aliens to you and to your kingdom. 
and to your people. But now, God, by your grace and because of Jesus Christ, because of his death, through faith, we are fellow citizens with the saints. Help us to, I pray that that would hit us with the gravity that this text intends, that it would affect our identity and our understanding of our life as we are citizens of America, that God, our citizenship in heaven would shape our thinking of our citizenship on earth. And we'd live that out for your glory. And God, we would have an impact on our world that you've put us in. And we thank you, God, for the time in which and the place in which we live, knowing that's by your grace and for your glory and by your good providence. So we thank you, Lord, so much for that mercy that we're here now and when we're here. But Lord, help us also to remember that we are here for such a time as this to be holy ones. So help us, God, to live that out. That we wouldn't conform to the the futile ways inherited from our forefathers. God, we wouldn't be conformed to this world, but God, we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might know what your good, perfect, and well-pleasing will is. And God, help us to make a difference because of this acceptance, this allegiance, and this alliance that we have in the church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. The good news about Jesus Christ is Even though every one of us is a sinner, Jesus does not turn away those who repent. There's not going to be anyone who says, my goodness, I repented, I turned from my sin, and Jesus just wouldn't have me. Jesus, no, he accepts sinners. He forgives sinners. That's why he died on the cross, and he was raised from the dead. And so the call is to repent, to turn from your sin. The call is to trust Jesus. You depend on Jesus and him alone to bring you to God because he's the only way to God. We're going to find that out next week. The next metaphor in this passage is you're members of the household of God. You become a member of the household through the Son. You become a citizen with the saints through the Son because of what Jesus did. And if you're here and you're not a citizen of the kingdom of God, if you're not part of God's people, God will make you one of his people through faith in Jesus Christ, his son. So that's what you should do. You should turn from your sin, repent of it, and trust Jesus Christ.